both said, Boy, I wish, oh, I wish you had what I had. He said, I wish you could have experienced what I've experienced. Now, there's three things he wasn't referring to. He wasn't referring to his family because it is believed that Paul had no wife. First Corinthians 7 said, But I speak this by permission and not by command. For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. And I say, Therefore to the unmarried and widows is good for them if they abide even as I. Two thoughts here. Many, some say Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, and to be a member of the Sanhedrin court, you had to be married. Well, if that be the case, then Paul is referring to the fact he's a widow. His wife has passed away. Others say, well, Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, but because he was so unique and talented young man, they made an exception, and Paul was never married regardless He does not have a wife at this time. So he's not talking about his family. He's not referring to his finances. The king no doubt had much more money. Paul made tents on the the side to survive. And after all, he was a Baptist preacher. They never have much money. Say amen there. His future plans, he was a prisoner. He's got no future plans. He's been locked up. But he looks at this King Agrippa and says, Oh, I wish. Oh, how I wish. Oh, how I wish you had what I had. So what in God's name is he talking about when he said, Oh, I wish you had what I had. Let me give you three things and we'll be done. Number one, he had a providential encounter. He had a providential encounter. Notice it involved a confrontation. Saul has arrest warrants in his pocket. He has armed soldiers More than that, he has zeal, excitement, determination to kill or arrest Christians. And he's already got their name on a piece of paper to do so. And notice what happens in Acts 26, 13. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven from the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. The very thing that kicked off Saul's life was that God showed up. Have you ever had a confrontation with the king of glory? It was, listen, it was personal. And may I say, if you've never had a confrontation with Jesus, you don't know what you're missing. You just don't know what you're missing. He was confronted. 
This wasn't just somebody. This was somebody. And in the midday sun, he saw brightness and sunshine all around him. He stopped him. Could I just, he stopped him dead in his tracks. Second, a conversation. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou, listen, me, hold it. I thought he's going after Christians. I thought he's going to kill and persecute Christians. I thought he was going to imprison Christians. Don't miss this. This is a good lesson. These Christians wasn't who Saul was attacking. Man, this world may attack the church, but they're not attacking the church. You might be attacked because you're a born-again believer. They're not attacking you. They're, taking, they're attacking your Father and the God of glory. And he said, Why persecutest thou me? Boy, I love this. The Lord is taking this personal. He said, Paul, Saul, Saul, you, you got a rest warrant in your pocket to kill my children. What are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And then notice what he said to him. He said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In that day, they plowed with oxen. And oxen were, uh, uh, were terribly, they, first of all, they were terribly strong, extremely strong. And they would start kicking the plow. And they would just shatter a plow behind them. Now, I never plowed a set of oxen, but they tell me they were, they were very destructive if they started kicking. So what they would do, they would take a pole, uh, probably six, eight foot long, and sharpen the end to a point. So when that thing started kicking, you stick that down there, and a couple sticks, guess what? They quit kicking. By the way, by the way, they didn't kick for a while again because they had a sore leg. What he's just saying to Paul, you be kicking me and kicking me. He says, hard to kick against the bricks. So notice he had a conversation, but then notice the confirmation. But rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and those things in which will appear unto thee. Saul standing, he's looking at King Agrippa. He said, oh, how I wish that you had a divine encounter as I've had. It changed my life. Church, the greatest testimony you and I have is what God has done for us. And then after you're saved, he'll add stories. You watch him work and he'll add stories and he'll give you opportunities to see 
He's greater, greater, greater. But there has to be that divine confrontation, that, that providential. Saul wasn't expecting God to show up that day. God wouldn't. Saw, the last thing on Saul's mind was running into God. He, he was, his purpose was to kill in prison as many Christians. And here's the sad part about him. That Saul the uh, of Tarsus believed he was doing the work of God in doing that. He thought he was doing right. Had you stopped Saul before he got there and said, uh, have you, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to persecute Christians. He said, I'm doing it for my God. I'm doing it for the, the, the Hebrew God. And until he run into that God, and God changed him. And I believe that same God can do that today. Oh, how I wish you had what I have. It takes a divine confrontation. I remember sitting on the pews of Vicarage Grove Baptist Church. 11 years of age. Paul Robinson was preaching. He preached on the prodigal son. I said, Amen. That was my brother Robert. I mean, everything about him, that was, Amen. Amen. Good preaching. Yeah, I'm, I liked it. Good. Amen. Until Paul Robinson had the audacity to say, that boy that stayed at home that minded his father that did everything his father did was as lost as a prodigal. Oh my gosh. That was me. Because whatever my daddy wanted me to do I tried to do. But he said he was just a lot and he proceeded to tell how sorry and good for nothing and lost that boy was. And that day I realized for the first time and I need Jesus as my Savior. Can you take me back to a place in time when God, you ran into God? God showed up. You weren't looking for Him. You didn't have no idea, but God showed up and did something great for you. He said, I want you to know, oh, I wish, oh, I wish, Agrippa, you had a providential encounter. Now, thank God. After that providential encounter, boy, I've had more than one confrontation. I've had more than one conversation. I've had more than one confirmation. See, God's no respect to person. What God will do for Saul, He'll do for you. I, I pray this, and I pray this often. And I, and I constantly pray for our church this fashion. I constantly say, well, God, you was the God of D.L. Moody. And Charles Spurgeon. And God, you've done it for men and gone in days gone by. God, you do it for us. We're here. No, we're not. They're in heaven. R.G. Lee's in heaven. Uh, 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 Dwight Moody's in heaven. Charles Spurgeon is in heaven. Some of the great men of are in heaven. So God, you do it for us now. And I believe that God can and will. See, what God will do for me, He'll do for you. And I tell you tonight, along with the Apostle Paul, oh, how I wished... You had what I have. Second, not only a providential encounter, but notice a preeminent endeavor. Notice with me the Bible in verse 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet. 
And just stop here and just say this. God has never saved anyone for them to sit like a knot on the log in a pew. God has saved you for a purpose. Every person here has a purpose. Notice what he said. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things, which thou hast seen, to those things in which I will appear unto thee. Deliver thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I never told God no. Paul said, I wish you had what I have because I have something to live for. I have something to live for. I hope to God you got something to live for. If you are, if you have, if you if you're saved and you you're settled on that, nobody can change that. And you're miserable, it's because you're not doing what God wants you to do with the life He's given you. But if you are, you got something to live for, you gotta have a purpose. See, Paul says, I've been given an assignment by God of heaven. You might be king. But I'm ambassador of the king of kings. You might have an important job, but mine's more important. King Agrippa, your job's temporal. Mine's eternal. Your position has been based on your natural birth. My position has been based on the new birth. Here's tonight. Got my car bumped this week. And... We was waiting on two and a half hours for uh, highway patrolman. And you know how well I do in waiting. But I did really good. You would be proud of me. I didn't kick the tires but once. And uh, I was talking to the young man that bumped me. And uh, it was almost kind of funny. He was, he was a Jesse and a, and, a, and a Caleb. He was computer dudes. They... they they have their own language. And, uh, and I got to talk to this young man. Talk to him about the Lord. And, and invited him to church. And, got, and, and I thought to that, that moment, I said, maybe God, you've got me here for such a time as this. So I would just begin to redeem the time. And we just had the best, time, best, best talk with that young man. And one of the things I told him, I said, you know, son, he had talking about life and I said, every, if God has put everybody on earth for a purpose. And everybody has a purpose. And everybody's gifted. Everybody's got a gift. There, there's some people that are just gifted in teaching. They're, they're just good at it. Other people can't do that. Some people are gifted in nurses. We've got some very gifted nurses here. Others just, just, can't, just can't do that. Everybody has a gift. And I told this young man, I said, you need to take your gift and give it to God and allow God to use that. Don't put restraints on your gift and say, it's got to be done my way, I'm not going to do it. Don't do that. 
because you're restraining from God. If your motive is to glorify God with your gift, take down the boundaries away from it and let God use that gift any way He wants to. And so the reality is, this Paul said, I, I was born on earth. Isn't it amazing who God would choose? Could you imagine who God would choose? The most zealous man against Christians? He saves him? And he calls him to preach at the same time? Wow! As a matter of fact, Saul had a reputation that later on Barnabas wanted to bring him to church. They said, no, you can't bring him. He kills us. It's a trap. That was the reputation he had. He said, you leave him home. Barnabas said, no, he's changed. Isn't it amazing when God changes us? We don't have to wear a big old Jesus sign that says, I've been changed. Everybody around you will know you've been changed. Notice, uh, the, he made him the, a wit, the witness of his endeavor to make the a minister and a witness. Both of these things, which I had seen, those things which I will appear to thee, all through the ministry of Paul, uh, he talked about what God had did on that Damascus road over and over and over. Every time I read that story, I remember night we went to Bristol we got on the Damascus Road and I'm telling you we was praying we'd get off that we, we didn't think we'd ever get off that got lost on that thing somehow or another I, I, I thought we'd never get off the Damascus Road but hallelujah we did make no mistake the highest call and most preeminent endeavor is to tell the world of Jesus. It's not preaching, not singing a song, not all these other... It's telling the world about Jesus. By the way, since he was two and a half hours late, I witnessed to the highway patrol too. Gave him a gospel track. I said, bless God, you make me wait two and a half hours, you can hear, take what I... You take five minutes to hear what I got to say. Number two, the wonder of his endeavor to open their eyes to turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Well, I'm going to tell you, God put it in Paul's heart right there. He said, when I go to preach to the Gentiles, he said, I want to turn the light on. He said, I want to turn, he said, I want to pour the salt on and I want to turn on the light. I want to show them how to get out of that darkness into light. Oh, how I wish. Oh, how I wish. Paul said, you had what I have. To turn him from darkness to, from away from the darkness, turn from the power of Satan unto God. To turn from, uh, to help them to receive forgiveness. Isn't it good to be forgiven tonight? And then he said, tell them about the inheritance I've got for them. Then the willingness of his endeavor, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Man, Paul made a lot of mistakes. Later on, as a lost man, on one occasion he said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I'm the chiefest because I persecuted the church. 
He said, ain't nothing. I'm the cheapest. But notice what he said. As a religious zealot, he fought God every turn. But the minute he got saved, he obeyed God's word, become obedient immediately. And notice, a providential encounter, no supreme eminent endeavor, but notice a passionate endurance. Now you got to get this one. If, if, if you forget the first two, don't miss this. It takes a passionate endurance. A lot of things. Talent. If you have talent, that's wonderful. If you learned something, that's wonderful. There's absolutely nothing in this world that'll take the place of passion. Having a passion in your heart to do something for God, nothing, nothing. Uh, if you're passionate, it just it just flows. You can't help but but being passionate if there's a passion in your heart for what you're doing for God. Notice he endured the risk. Verse 21, for this cause the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. That's it. We're going to kill you. That's it. 90% of Baptists will quit and go home. He said, um, can I just say this? And please don't boo me out. I am just, I'm weary with people talking about dying all the time. Never before in a, in a Christianity how Christians been afraid of dying until last year. We're Christians. We sung about, oh, what a day that'll be. We sing about heaven. We talk about heaven. And it's almost embarrassing how we're afraid of dying. When the reality is for a born-again believer, it it goes to show just how how little we believe what we're singing about. I've been in the hospital room when those that love Jesus slipped out of here, and I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna tell you something. It's it's not it's not a sad boohoo kind of time, man. I've seen them. I'm telling you, I've been in a room where God showed in the middle of it. You can't define it. You can't understand it. Where God gets a thick in a room and as they slip out of here, you know everything's all right. Oh, I've been in a hospital room when those weren't. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Boy, what a sad thing that is. Don't miss it. He endured the risk. Paul said, I wish you had. Oh, I wish you had what I had. He said, I love this. He nearly killed me, but I wish, oh, I wish you had what I have. Paul said, fear of dying never deterred me. And that's why he said to the church of Ephesus in Acts 20, Now behold, I go bound in spirit under Jerusalem, not knowing the things which shall befall me. Said the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. He said, none of these. Neither count my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I received the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. 
He was unmoved, unshaken, unafraid, and unapologetic. He said, he said he endured the risk. Number two, he endured the ridicule. He's talking and Ephesians finishes his sermon. There's this dude there by the name of Festus. Be crowd. Everybody's listening. Jumps up. Paul! I mean, so much learning has made you mad. You've gone crazy. Right in the middle of the whole crowd. And it's sad. We've almost come to the day. God's sad to say. Maybe before COVID, not since COVID, but maybe before. Well, the preacher didn't shake my hand. I guess he's mad. Just I, my God. Oh, the ridicule and the embarrassment. Everybody's looking. He said, You go, you're crazy. Why if someone stepped in the church and pointed out and said, Praise God, crazy. May I remind you, most people, be honest, most people would have quit right here. They are not going to get mocked by a bunch of losers. They're not going to be made fun by a bunch of wannabes. He was told by Felix the governor in front of the whole crowd, he's lost his mind. He's being jeered and belittled by the biggest crowd around. I love this. They, they didn't intimidate Saul. Can I ask you to do something? And you have to answer the question yourself. When is the church of the living God going to stop being intimidated by the world? And trust me, if you, think that, if you don't think that intimidation is real, then you must be a, a, a monk hiding in a somewhere. Can I remind you that intimidation has cranked up across our country tenfold in just the last year. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable. Go around the corner and you ain't got a mask, and the person that sees you, that just about climbed the wall. <laughs> kind of makes you feel bad, makes you feel like, gosh, do I smell a lot? Being, being you know, this is just what to do. Being intimidated. Now, I'm going to tell you what's the truth, and a lot of people, don't get me wrong, and I'm not booing you out if you're here tonight, I'm just trying to help you, but there's a lot of people intimidated by all the. All, all the ridiculous rhetoric that's coming across the news station. From this so-called president on down. The threats, the mandates, and all this stuff. And I'll just be honest, I'm not going to get political. I promise I won't. But I just doubt very seriously if he's got the authority to even do it. But it's still intimidation. 
it's still intimidation. No matter how you fight, no matter how you slide, it's still intimidation. Paul said this. That didn't cause him to rethink his position. It didn't make him sit down and shut up. He kept preaching. He kept defending. He kept testifying. He kept doing what God called him to do. And church, may we keep doing what God's called us to do. Number three, he endured rejection. I believe this is where the heart of Saul just broke. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. He said, King Agrippa, I know you know what I have told you is true. Listen to what King Agrippa said. Almost, almost, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The preacher's most worst response. If there's anything that discourages me more as a pastor is a long list of almost that I've seen. The marriage, almost salvage. The young person, I almost convinced to live pure. The young man, I almost convinced to stand up and be counted. The lady, almost convinced, almost, almost, almost influenced to be a godly young lady and mother one day. The sinner, oh, the sinner almost persuaded to get saved. I witnessed to a lady. I can still see her face. She's on late 50s probably. I took my Bible and the whole time I witnessed to her she cried and wept just like a child. And her tears just fell from her face. And she, she hung on every word. And I said, would you not want to give your heart to Jesus today? She looked up with the tears running down. She said, I know you told me the truth. But to do what you've asked me to do, I had to throw away everything I was taught in the Catholic church, in the Catholic school, all my life. And she said, Pastor, I just can't do that. And she just turned and walked away. To my knowledge... She lived and died. And in hell, she almost. I wonder how many have walked through the doors of this church, heard me preach, and almost were saved, but walked out lost to never be given another opportunity. See, we're... We got this idea, God's going to give me time, time, opportunity after opportunity. No, 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 no. God doesn't have to give you but one. He don't have to give us that. It is God's grace and mercy He gives us opportunity over and over and over. But I love this. Even though the list of almost 
it's discouraging and frustrating to to the thing uh, to Paul. He didn't change his message. He didn't adjust the method. He didn't reverse the mentality. And he didn't alter his mindset. When Agrippa said almost, Paul said, all that I would, all that I would that you had what I have. All how would. Last of all, he endured restraints. He said, I wish we're all to, almost and all together such as I am. Accept these bonds. Paul endured them. See, the bonds didn't bind his mind, his heart, or his mouth. No less than 14 times Paul mentions his bonds, but his bonds did not stop him. He said, King Grip, oh, how I wish you had what I have. Except these bonds. He said, I don't wish these bonds on no one. And tonight, I can only testify. Oh, how I wish. I got up this morning. God, there's something in my heart that wants to be in the house of God. I, I can't explain it. I didn't dread driving across the road. I was so excited. I just enjoyed it. Oh, I wish you had what I have, Paul said. And may I say this, oh, I wish. And if you have, praise God for it. Praise God. We're going to pray in a minute. Just praise God. Yeah. But if not, oh, I wish you had while I have. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed.